back to the Crossover Across Time podcast. We're back for our Friday show in the second week of the first round, essentially a little more simple. We're at the point where we only have a couple more first round series that are going to be wrapping up. And today we're going to start previewing. Uh, We will be starting the previews for uh, the second round, which will actually begin tomorrow on Saturday. Uh, first of all, I'm your host, Karsten. Welcome to the show. Uh, welcome back to the show. If you're new to the show, you've listened previously um, both ways. We we welcome you and we appreciate your support on the podcast. Um, really appreciate it. Um, for today's podcast, we've got a pretty short episode. I'm actually recording this prior to um, packing and getting on the road for a short little weekend trip. So um, I might run through things, uh, excuse me, run through things a little bit quicker, but um, I think we still will, you know, cover everything in good detail and cover the important items. Um, Since I'm doing this ahead of any Friday games, uh, we only have one game to talk about. We uh, covered Wednesday's games on Wednesday's show. Uh, Again, none of Friday's, neither Friday's games, tonight's games have tipped off. And so we just have one game to talk about. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that is Thursday night, game six between the Boston Celtics and the Atlanta Hawks. Game six was in Atlanta with the Hawks um, being the lesser seed. And the Celtics, they led 3 2 going into the game and they were able to close out the series after a, a game five. Um, you know, <clears throat> Atlanta victory extended the series. Atlanta obviously doing their best to try and. Um, make a come from behind series victory, but uh, Boston got the job done job done on the road. They win game six, 128 to 120, taking that four, two series victory, moving on to the second round in which they will face the Philadelphia 76ers more on that in just a moment. But first let's talk about this game in particular back and forth game, uh, 22 lead changes throughout, but the Celtics with a late surge to be able to seal the victory and again, get the, uh, the series victory. For the Hawks, their final game of the season, they had uh, some valiant efforts. Trey Young, 30 points, 10 assists, two blocks, and a steal for Trey Young, the diminutive point guard. Um, tough shooting night, you know, stuck with it. Got some some points still for the team, despite some rough percentages. Uh, DeAndre Hunter, the second leading scorer for the Hawks, 20 points, six rebounds, and then one of everything else, an assist, a steal, and a block. John Collins, 16 points, four rebounds, two blocks, and a steal. Not a bad game, but um, again, underwhelming in the playoffs generally, underwhelming in the regular season, and that is a big question mark for Atlanta as they go into their offseason. DeJounte Murray, only 14 points. Uh, He also struggled shooting from the floor. He grabbed 11 assists and seven rebounds as well. Clint Capella, 10 points, 10 rebounds, um, and then off the bench, Bogdan Bogdanovich with 12 points and 11 rebounds for Onyeko Kongwu, who also had two blocks on the game. So again, not terrible from the Hawks. Uh, tough shooting as a team generally, especially from uh, the backcourt tandem. Those are the two that are more often than not going to be the uh, the arbiter of how well the Hawks will do. Um, <clears throat> excuse me again. Looking at things for the Celtics, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum teaming up, doing what you you know expect them to do more often than not. They combined for 62 points in this game. Jalen Brown with 32 of those. He had five rebounds, two assists, and a block. Tatum with his 30 points also had 14 rebounds, seven assists, two blocks, and a steal. Um, and perfect timing. You know, just after I had gone on my little spiel about how he has been inconsistent, and that's a worrying thing for the Celtics. He comes back and has um, probably his best game of the playoffs so far. It's early in the playoffs, but um, great game for him. And uh, kudos to him for being able to um, come through in an important game. Marcus Smart, 22 points, four rebounds, four assists, and a steal. Um, Al Horford, 10 points, 12 rebounds with four assists, three blocks, and two steals. Um, and then 17 points for the sixth man of the year, Malcolm Brogdon off the bench. We should also mention that uh, Robert Williams III, he continues to come off the bench for the Celtics. He grabbed three blocks and two steals, so it was a great team effort. Again, Brown and Tatum typifying the effort. 
and the Celtics get that victory. So they move on to the second round. And again, that takes care of our game summaries. That was very quick tonight. We have, um, we mentioned it before the Warriors hosting the Kings in that game six, the Warriors holding a three, two lead going into game six, which is in San Francisco. So the Warriors hosting game six, and then at 1030, uh, the Lakers are going to be hosting the Grizzlies. Lakers lead three to two in that series. Uh, so both of those could be closed out tonight or both could extend into game seven. So we really don't know what's going to happen. So um, those would be great series to watch out for. But again, that takes care of our game summaries. Let's real quick jump into the key news. Uh, some updates on injury related things to start off with. For the Sixers, Joel Embiid's status for the second round is currently uncertain. Um which is, you know, kind of good news, bad news. Um, good news is he's not ruled out. That's obviously the best thing. But for the Sixers, I'm sure for the team and the fans, they're hoping to get a, you know, absolutely. He'll be there for game one and he's set to go. Um, not quite the case. But again, that he's not ruled out for any of these games. For all we know, he's going to start in that game. For all we know, he could miss the whole series. I mean, we just don't know. Uh, we will be sure to update you with that. Um, on every episode of the podcast and keep you updated as much as we can. Um, some New York Knicks specific items. Uh, the Knicks are reportedly hopeful. Julius Randle will be ready for game one. Uh, if you recall, he did re, uh, aggravate a ankle injury in their uh, <clears throat> game five in which they clinched the series, won the series, moved on to the second round, um, <clears throat> did not finish that game. And so, you know, a light question mark. I imagine he will be able to play most of the series. Um, the question is when he's able to get back in, um, if that limits his play. So we'll definitely be looking for that. And then also for the Knicks, uh, second year center Jericho Sims recently underwent surgery on uh, a right shoulder injury. He'll be out for the remainder of the playoffs. That's a tough one. He had been a decent part of the rotation as far as, you know, a ninth, 10th guy off the bench, uh, you know, Athletic center, some interesting potential younger kid. Um, so that's an impact for them in the playoffs. You know, Randall obviously is a the you know to be determined, and uh, as a star player, that's going to be a big factor. So those are some Knicks items, and then uh, for the Miami Heat, uh, just an update: Victor Oladipo's situation. We know he's going to be out for the remainder of the playoffs. Uh, we knew it was a serious injury. He recently underwent surgery on that injury which was a right patellar tendon injury so he again will be out the timetable for next season is going to be you know the earliest that you look at when is he going to be able to return um so but again no timetable uh for for certain on that or with jericho sims um and with all four of these guys excuse me all four of these guys we want to take a quick minute wish them the best in their recovery from these injuries uh hopefully they're able to um, get, you know, get right healed up as soon as they can get back on the court and, uh, be a contributing factor for their teams. So again, wishing them the best, um, a quick follow-up on the Anthony Edwards situation we talked about on Wednesday with, for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Firstly, uh, a quick apology. I did kind of jump in a little deep as far as the, um, you can call it overreaction. You know, I didn't realize that there was a you know viral video clip of the incident that was reported you know i that was not referenced in the source that i myself referenced in bringing you that news item and so i falsely went under the assumption that this was something that we had no video of and so when it reports a, a third degree assault of some employees you know without seeing what actually happened your mind can kind of go uh a million ways and <clears throat> i recently came across the clip online what it looks like is shortly after the buzzer both teams are going to their locker rooms is the video is a fan perspective from the side where the timberwolves are going into the tunnel they're going to go to the locker room and anthony edwards grabs a chair kind of nearby gives us a little bit of a heave and not even a heave. That's not even the right word. <clears throat> um, you know, if you were to try and move a chair out of your way, but you did it in an aggressive manner, you know, 
we can say that much um kind of you know two hands uh, a few feet away from him shifting it out of his way obviously frustrated and and that's about the extent of that isolated action from what it sounds like you know right there neck nearby in that area a couple of employees were there um his aggressive movement of the chair you know tagged them you know uh it brushed an arm uh hit them as it went by again details i don't know for sure um <clears throat> but that's the incident itself and firstly i want to apologize as far as for anthony edwards part um that immediately is a lot less concerning as far as you know uh a person acting out and being and violent and you know really and you know we don't know intent but looking at that video it just seems he's frustrated he he's trying to move a chair out of the way it's you know incidental contact or however you want to describe it um and again apologies for misrepresenting that as being something that was a more deliberate action or um something with malicious intent you know even in just trying to report it um and as far as the update for today um anthony edwards lawyer you know made official statements as far as you know that video is concerned and the the report that was made um the you know police citing it and the charge and um went on record saying it was a baseless charge that um <clears throat> that uh it was an overreaction on the part of you know Denver Police Department and so again just trying to supplement and and clarify on this whole situation where it stands now you know Anthony Edwards moving a chair out of the way a little aggressively perhaps with you know no intent whatsoever maybe manages to come in contact with some employees standing by that becomes a police citation or charge of a third degree assault of these two employees of the Denver Nuggets. And now there's, you know, there's going to be some legal issues as far as uh, the lawyer fighting back on that, clarifying things, clearing it up, clearing the air, all of that. So that's the update. Um, Again, for those employees, that's an, it is unfortunate, you know, that you uh, were physically impacted, um, even to the point of maybe felt um, that third degree assault of, of that chair going by. That should not be discounted. You know, it's definitely unfortunate. Um, but we should take into account that it looks like it was certainly unintentional. It was heated moment, frustration one action and it was nearby someone who kind of got tangled up in it. And so um, again, hopefully this gets resolved positively. You know, I don't want this to be a thing where people who, who's, you know, day-to-day -day jobs, they came and they were affected by something and they didn't anticipate now that's, that's worth, you know, there, there should be some sort of something there, a little bit of compensation as far as, you know, Hey, this was, you know, this shouldn't have happened, shouldn't have been impacted physically by this, you know, and that compensation is, I don't know what the compensation is, but there's some sort of thing there. Um, but again, for Anthony Edwards sake, um, <clears throat> you know, maybe there's just, you know, an apology of, Hey, didn't mean to do that. Um, you know, touching base, you know, with those people, you know, maybe that's something, but again, um, hopefully that gets resolved positively. And again, I'm kind of with today and Wednesday, I'm really spending a lot of time on this segment and I'll finish it up by just saying, this is such a big story on the side of Anthony Edwards in terms of a player with so much potential and any kind of incident like this, it's going to be, um, a big story and it's going to be a point of concern as far as a player with a lot of potential you don't want them doing anything that's going to limit that potential you know and also um, we don't want any any players negatively impacting the lives of, of employees of 
passersby, fans, anything like that. So, so it's both sides. Both sides have equal um, seriousness as far as if this kind of thing happens, serious implications on both sides. And so we want to, you know, treat it with respect and make sure that, um, you know, we're, we're covering that. So again, hopefully that kind of makes sense. We're going to move on. We got a couple more news items. Um, this is not necessarily a news item. Uh, I guess we could mention it. It was more just, you know, a statement of, of, of confidence for the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, Kobe Altman, who's their, um, their president general manager, uh, just basically reaffirmed his support for JB Bickerstaff as head coach saying that he is Cavs head coach. And, and again, it's not really a new story, but it's more along the lines of the surprise of the Cavs having been eliminated in five games in the first round and maybe on the fans part or, or whoever that comment get starts to circle. Oh, the head coach and, these, you know, certain things and, and what if it's a coaching change, you know, and we certainly can't speak to any of those factors or any of those arguments either side for or against. But we can say that uh, it looks like J.B. Bickerstaff is staying on the Cavaliers organization feels he's the right coach and that's not the problem. And they're going to, you know, figure it out, whatever it is, if it's more time together, if it's a different piece, if it's whatever. Um, in the off season. And then finally, some news out of the Phoenix organization, the Suns, uh, but specifically Kevin Durant. Um, he reportedly signed a lifetime deal with Nike. He'd already been with Nike for uh, 16, 17 years at this point. Um, that's weird to say that it's been that long. Um, <clears throat> maybe it's more like 14 or 15, but he's been a signature athlete uh, with Nike. He's had his, KD line for a while now since the early Oklahoma city days. Um, and so he joins LeBron James and Michael Jordan as the only three now players to have a lifetime deal with Nike. So, so that's a cool thing to see all three of those uh, great NBA players, great basketball players. Um, but that takes care of our news. Again, I'm, I'm I deliberated a little bit longer on some of those items than I hope to, um, but again, that's, they have some importance. So we're going to go on to our um, the bulk of our show for today, and that's our second round previews. And tonight's games, the Warriors-Kings game, that's first, and the Lakers-Grizzlies game, that's second. The winners of both of those series, that's the final second round matchup. So we don't we haven't determined that yet, but we have the other three second round matchups already set in stone uh in the eastern conference we have both of those series we have the five seed new york knicks with the home court advantage against the eight seed miami heat um the other matchup being the two seed boston celtics with the home court advantage against the three seed philadelphia 76ers and then in the west we have one of those two matchups in the conference semifinals the second round and that is the one seed denver nuggets hosting the four seed Phoenix Suns. So those are the three that we have confirmed again. Um, either the Kings or the Warriors will face either the Grizzlies or the Lakers. And that's, you know, what we know, the the Warriors and the Lakers hold the leads in their respective um, series. Any of those matchups could be very intriguing, but again, we'll keep you updated on that. Um, so that being said, let's chat real quick about these series. And firstly, Let's talk about the big surprise. You know, Sixers Celtics, as well as Nuggets Suns, I feel like those were fairly predictable. I mean, those were the top seeds winning their matchups. Not too much surprising there, but the Heat and the Knicks both advancing. I was updating the, our host scores as far as our playoff predictions, and none of us picked either the Heat or the Knicks to win their series. So first of all, props to them and apologies that we didn't give them that credit to be able to win those series and win them in convincing fashion. Four games to one for both of those teams. What we now get is, first off, when it comes to our podcast's historic perspective and historic angle, for me this is a delight because this is a return of the late 90s uh, Heat-Knicks rivalry 
different teams, different players. But it's funny because the Heat still have Pat Riley in that organization, in their their leadership, their front office. He remembers those days, and he's a big, maybe the biggest factor as far as why that became a rivalry um, or one of the big factors. Again, totally different eras, different teams. But we do have on the Heat a guy named Jimmy Butler who has had maybe the best playoff so far of any player who also is wildly competitive and him in a playoff series in New York in the garden against the Knicks, a newly reconstituted Knicks team that has won its first first round series in 10 years and only its second victory in the first round in a first round series within the last 20 or so years uh, to the best of my knowledge. And there's a lot of storylines. I mean, the Knicks, Jalen Brunson, you know, he emerged for the Mavericks last year in the playoffs, and then he signed with the Knicks, had a chance to be an all-star this season, didn't quite be named an all-star, but he was thoroughly in that mix, you know, in the mix for most improved player. He could be a guy in conversations for an all-NBA team appearance. I mean, he was phenomenal for the Knicks. He's been just as impressive in the playoffs. They have the intrigue of the Julius Randle injury now, and there's so many different elements to this matchup. And Miami is in a great position here because they were obviously as an eighth seed, they were facing the Milwaukee Bucks who were the first seed in the East. And the perspective of the cynical fan, the Bucks fan could be, the Giannis injury allowed the Heat to win the series. And there's maybe not they're maybe not completely false in that uh view, but the Heat also did plenty with the Bucks, you know, at full strength. Giannis returned from the final two games. Uh the Heat were already off to a hot start in that game one before Giannis even got injured. You know, there's every argument for both sides. You know, Heat they they earned the series win, you know, and you have an injury along the way. It's tough, but the Heat also did plenty, you know, outside of that factor. And again, that's kind of a belabored point. We talked about it before. So the, the good news is for the Heat, they're now facing a five seed. You know, the Knicks were a solid team all year, but they were not a comparable team to the Bucks. However, the Knicks have stepped that up in the playoffs. So this can't be written off for the heat as, oh, it's, you know, they overachieved. We were inconsistent all year. Now we have an easy route to the conference finals. You know, <clears throat> you like the confidence there, but you also should not underestimate this Knicks squad. Um, Brunson Barrett has had some decent games. Josh Hart off the bench has been a huge X factor. You know, he was great at the end of the regular season, but his impact on a playoff type roster and in that atmosphere, the things you need to be able to bring that has been a little bit understated. Mitchell Robinson, the defensive impact has been there. It's been palpable. And let's think about the matchups for a second. Heat and Knicks, you have Brunson and they haven't been starting Grimes. Um, which is also an interesting thing. Let's actually look back to, um, if I can pull up the correct date here, let's look back to that series clinching victory. They did not start Quentin Grimes, um, but that I'm forgetting. I pulled this up now, I remember. It was because of an injury slash illness related thing. So, um, and there was not a big report. So you imagine that's a more minor game to game type thing. So you anticipate him starting. So Brunson and Grimes, the matchup with the Heat in that case, you have Gabe Vincent, who's been starting for them, matched up with Jalen Brunson, and you figure Brunson should be able to win that matchup. Um, Grimes versus, oh, without Victor or without Hero or Oladipo, they're probably starting Caleb Martin. If I had to guess, um, let me double check that again, making sure that I get this accurate for you. No, Max Struess shifts over to that guard. Jimmy Butler's a forward, but those are kind of your two, three interchangeable. That makes sense. RJ Barrett, your three. Jimmy Butler, your three. 
In that case, Grimes and Barrett versus Butler and Struess, I think that's an easy Miami Heat. You know, they have the advantage in that matchup. Adebayo versus Robinson, that's intriguing. You know, both guys are defensively focused. Adebayo has scoring potential. Robinson will do his best to neutralize that. Robinson's not a big offensive factor for the Knicks outside of the lob and those type of things anyways. And then at that four spot, Kevin Love versus Julius Randle. If Randle's back, he's somewhat healthy and he's effective. That Kevin Love matchup, that could be a big point because Love, at this point in his career, especially as a defender, I'm not, if I'm the Heat, I don't know if I feel that great about him matching up against Julius Randle. Um, it's not too bad in the sense that both of those guys can stretch the floor and love especially is going to like to hang around the three point line. I mean, look at game five, all 11 of his shots came from three. He made five of them. He's shooting well from three. So you're going to have to honor that. You know, he's still got the rebounding effectiveness. Love is still an effective player. I mean, that's why it was an important uh, trade deadline move for the heat to get him. But, um, Randall, obviously, younger, stronger, more athletic, quicker. That should have an impact in that matchup. And then you'd have Adebayo trying to make up for it. Opens up things for Mitchell, maybe. Then that's one side of it, and that's your front court. Your wings, kind of more backcourt, you have the opposite thing, where Grimes and R.J. Barrett have been solid. Barrett has gotten just a little bit better year by year. Haven't seen a huge element of growth with him, but comparing it to Butler, especially, but also Struess, who's starting to kind of regain that rhythm he had at last year's playoffs with the threes and and doing some other things, you know, it's, that's where things are going to be really strong for Miami. Now, Brunson matching up against Vincent could be closer than we think. Again, Gabe Vincent's been good in the playoffs too. So, that could be a close matchup, but the matchups are intriguing either way. The bench for both teams are kind of like, oh, it's it it's workable. You know, quickly, Hartenstein, Toppin, uh, Fournier. Knicks have some solid bench pieces. The Heat do as well. Lowry, Caleb Martin. Of course, it's impacted with Hero and Oladipo, but they still have Lowry Martin. Duncan Robinson can get things going. Cody Zeller is a serviceable center. So it's intriguing, you know, and I really think this series could be a deep series. This could be six, seven game series, could be a dogfight, and that would fit the tone of the history of this matchup, which would really be something fun. As far as a victor, I think... You know, the individual play of Jimmy Butler, we can't overstate that at this point. He's been absolutely off the charts. And if you're looking for one guy who's going to take over a series or have the potential to do that, it's going to be a Jimmy Butler. And again, especially against that matchup, you know, when Hart comes into the game, that's going to make it a little bit more difficult for Butler. But still, um, it's going to be hard to to discount that and to give the Knicks the advantage in this series, especially if you consider Randall being questionable with an injury that makes it even more uncertain. So that's kind of some facets there for the Knicks and heat super intriguing. Again, I anticipate a deep playoff series, a six game, six or seven game type of series, but the heat probably have the advantage with Butler's play alone. But the matchups all around are all uh, are also favorable. Um, so that's your first series, your your surprise series. Let's jump to that other Eastern Conference series. And again, this is the one that all of us were able to predict um, correctly as far as the Sixers facing off against the Celtics. Sixers have already had a, a week off almost at this point. Um, their first game is tomorrow or uh, Sunday, actually. Um. No, let me double check this. Got to make sure I have the right days here. Um, the first game of the Sixers Celtics series, it'll be the last of these three series we're talking about to tip off. It tips off Monday, May 1st. 
and the Sixers haven't played since the 22nd. That's going to be a big thing to look out for. Now, on the flip side, the rust thing may be a concern. You're concerned about that. But for the Sixers, that's also Embiid has not had to, you know, put the strain of games on this injury that he's accrued for a little over a week at that point. And that's going to improve their chances of being able to have him in the fold for this game, for this game one and for the series as a whole. And so those are some, a couple things to, to keep in mind. The Sixers look very strong. Obviously they swept the series against the Nets. And again, I, I will say this, um, the, when I have the chance and it's relevant, that Nets team put up a good fight. That was not an easy series for the Sixers to win. So the sweep is almost more impressive in that case, you know, and especially that game four, that was ne- the Brooklyn Nets time to try and steal a game and, and prevent the sweep. And everyone stepped up in the absence of Joel Embiid. Paul Reed, I like his emergence as that backup big, really helps out their, their rebounding, their depth, huge piece there. Um, but this team has all sorts of pieces to work with. Um, and the Celtics shakiness against a Hawks squad, you can look at it a few ways, but it should be worth noting, you know, I think Nets and Hawks are pretty comparable in this playoffs as far as teams that did not have great regular seasons or did not have as great of regular seasons compared to the seeds they were facing. The Nets compared to the Sixers, especially you factor in the somewhat of a inflated seed, if you want to call it that, with what Durant and Irving were able to do. The Nets were still a solid team, but that matchup, the Nets were competitive. They made it, you know, they did not make those games easy. The Sixers swept the series. The Hawks, an underwhelming team uh, or a team with not enough talent, however you want to quantify it, made the games competitive, made it a series, and they forced six games out of the Celtics. And that's probably the big concern. Um, now, those are two different teams. So there's that, that's something that should be considered as far as that factor in that comparison. But the rust factor, again, the Celtics are going to be, they have a few games or a few days of rest. They'll be able to be recovered. They'll be fresh. They'll be fresh enough to, to have that advantage, but they won't be rusty. You know, they, they only played a couple days ago. They, they're in their rhythm. They haven't, you know, fallen out of, uh, out of rhythm. When it comes to that game one, you know, I think that'll immediately impact game one Celtics at home against the Sixers questionable Joel Embiid shaking off the rust. I would predict a game one victory for the Celtics with all of those things, you know, factored in. That would be my prognostication. After that, the health of Joel Embiid is everything here. If Embiid plays for the Sixers as productive as Horford and Robert Williams can be, Horford has been aging. Robert Williams is a bit of a tender item for the Celtics. With his injury struggles, they haven't wanted to quite commit to a starting, you know, starting spot yet. He's coming off the bench with limited minutes. Horford getting older. He doesn't have, uh, he stayed in great shape, but that, you know, that could be an impact with his matchup against Embiid. In the past, you know, the, the Sixers with a younger core, with the Ben Simmons factor, Celtics having, you know, their pieces, their experience, their depth. It was a runaway series for the Celtics. Like the Heat Knicks series we talked about, you should anticipate this series going six or seven games. Um, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm hyping up the whole playoffs here by saying they're all going to be deep, you know, long series and close games, but it has been that way so far, generally speaking, you know, and I think that trend's kind of going to continue with this one, especially, you know, this should be a close series. Tatum, Tatum and Embiid are the deciding factors for that, for either team. And really that's a, of course, you know, that's a given, but it's a little deeper than that as far as the reasoning, you know, 
it's easy to say if Joel Embiid doesn't play well, then um, the Celtics are going to win or vice versa. The T- if Tatum doesn't play well, the Sixers are going to win. That's easy to see. Anyone can make that point and it's perfectly valid, but also just the Embiid health. That's fairly straightforward. But with Tatum, you know, even if he has two or three games of 30 plus points, efficient, playing well, I think let's say he does that. Let's say he has, it's a six game series. Three of those games, he's phenomenal. Three of the other games, he's inefficient, not doing enough of the other things, you know, bad games. I think the Sixers win that series, even with the Celtics home court advantage. And it was only half the games that he was off, you know, the rest of the team being able to rely on that on the consistent basis. Jalen Brown has been more consistent, but even he's going to have an off game, you know, of those six games, he might have one or two where he's not able to score 30 plus points. Maybe he scores 22 or something like that, you know, and the rest of the team, let's be honest, doesn't have a lot of offense to pick up for it. You know, even with a six man of the year with Malcolm Brogdon outside of Brogdon, I mean, Derek White can get some points for you, but Marcus Smart, sometimes it's just really, you know, you look at the Sixers, though, Tobias Harris scores well with James Harden, of course, and Harden gets the assists alongside Embiid. And then you've got DeAnthony Melton, who's a solid scoring guard off the bench. Tyrese Maxey, the starter, who's a huge offensive guy. Um You've got George Yang who can hit the threes off the bench, but he's comparable to a Grant Williams. So I'll give you that. That's a little bit of a, you know, kind of cross each other out. Uh, Montrez Harrell, who uh, has waned in recent seasons, but still is capable of a solid um, inside scoring game. Uh, Shake Milton, who has kind of fallen deep into the rotation. Jalen McDaniels. The Sixers, I feel a lot more confident in their overall offense than the Celtics. The Celtics have the better, you know, two-man scoring tandem, Tatum and Brown, when they're locked in. But the Sixers are more have been more consistent. They've been better in the playoffs so far. Embiid playing, you know, four of those six games, five of those six games, even half of those games, I would give the advantage to the Sixers. Um, and this also fits, of course, my, my playoff prediction where I had the Sixers going to the finals, you know, so I, I want to acknowledge that, you know, that's my, my perspective, but the Sixers have truly showed me so far in the playoffs that that seems to be on the right track. And the Celtics have shown me why I question them being able to make it to the conference finals. You know, there's been that has that you know, you hesitate with full confidence, placing your full confidence in the Celtics. Um, So again, close series right now, I'd probably give the edge to the Sixers, but you know, if the Celtics lock in, if Tatum and Brown string those games together, there's no inconsistency. Then the Celtics have a great chance to win the series or could run away with the series, you know? But that's really the factor, and that's what I think is going to impact this series is those differing perspectives, those differing elements for both those teams. When it comes to our final series that we have so far, that uh, Suns-Nuggets series, that one is also hugely intriguing. That will be the second of the three – excuse me, that will be the first uh, that the Heat-Knicks series tips off Saturday or Sunday – the first game we're getting of the first round is that Nuggets Sun series tomorrow, uh, eight thirty, Eastern Standard Time. Nuggets hosting the Suns. With that series, um, I think we're all very intrigued to see how that one is going to go. Um, both teams wrapped up play on Tuesday, so they'll be about the pretty much equal rest situation as far as that's concerned. Um, the Nuggets were the better team beginning to end in the regular season. The Suns had a great end of season to rock it up into that fourth spot, and they have much more talent to work with. Their top three or four, and I've said this before, 
Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Ayton. I don't care who that fifth guy is that fills in the extra roster spot, and the depth can be halfway decent. Those guys all locked in. That is monumental. I mean, that is hugely talented. Um, Especially if Booker is the leading scorer and Durant is a secondary scorer, that is especially scary. And that's what it's been in the playoffs so far. Eight and solid inside with, you know, tertiary points and the rebounds. Chris Paul is going to, you know, run the show and get some key points late. And then your bench just needs to conjure up a few points to make it well balanced enough to work for the Nuggets. Jokic will do his thing, you know, him matched up against Aiton. Jokic is going to win that he's bigger, stronger. Um, He will grab the boards. He will make all of those plays inside with the passing, you know, defensively, neither center is ultra stellar defensively. So that's kind of a wash as far as how that would go. Um, Scoring is not the factor for either center. Jokic will control the boards a little more. Both will do well rebounding wise, but I think Jokic will grab a little bit more on the rebounding edge. And of course he'll be the playmaker. Jamal Murray has been great at scoring in this playoffs, which is what they really need from him. And so he's stepping into that role. Um, Him matching up against Chris Paul be hugely interesting. Outside of those two, Aaron Gordon has been very solid and is capable of higher scoring games. Michael Porter Jr., same kind of a thing. Off the bench, I like their depth. They've got Bruce Brown, who's a multifaceted guy. Jeff Green kind of showing his agelessness with his athleticism, scoring ability. Uh, Christian Brown, the rookie, has shown some some moxie, if you will, that uh, play playmaking ability, that scoring ability in the playoffs to a, to a degree. They've got some okay centers to work with, Thomas Bryan especially, but also DeAndre Ayton with that experience. Reggie Jackson, I mean, he didn't even play in their Game 5 victory, and he's a, ga- a guard off the bench with a lot of ability as well. You know, Nuggets have the better depth overall. They have... Um, a little bit more balance to their roster, but the Suns have the greater talent. Um, Booker and Durant are going to be facing easier matchups. Likewise, Jokic and Murray are going to, in some ways, be favor- facing favorable matchups. So it's which kind of stars are going to do more with that. Booker and Durant, are they going to be able to have their way with the Nuggets, or will Jokic and Murray have their way with the Suns? And based on recent history, based on what we've seen this season, um, you know, legacies of those individual players, as much as I like Jamal Murray and feel like Jokic, obviously he's been an MVP candidate. He's been great. I just don't see how, you know, Porter and Gordon are going to quite be able to match Durant's play. It's interesting. Michael Porter Jr. was compared to Kevin Durant in a lot of ways when he was coming out of college, coming into the draft. Um, And obviously, he's not been that same caliber of player. Similar in height and length and the scoring touch, but uh, wildly different players. And Porter Jr. is not a ultra-stellar defender. Aaron Gordon is solid, but he's not quite as mobile. Um. I just think Durant's going to have a good – he's going to be in good position for that. Contavious Caldwell-Pope matching up against Devin Booker. You know, Booker's got bigger size along with his scoring touch. And KCP is decent as a defender, but, you know, I mean, Aiton is going to be serviceable against Jokic. And Chris Paul against Jamal Murray is a good matchup for the Suns, generally speaking. And so I lean towards the sun, the suns. And again, this goes with my prediction, but um, that's what I would say. But, you know, we should also factor the previous playoff frustration and some people will use it as a reason that this team will continue to fail, which isn't always wrong, but for the nuggets, you know, they've been, they have a multi-time MVP and they've been one of the top teams in the league. They've missed their one of their star players, 
when they've had early playoff exits. And now people are starting to doubt them as a, a playoff type team. And I think they, they will take that and, you know, use it to their advantage the best they can. Michael Malone, I think is cognizant of the general media chatter around that kind of a conversation. He's going to be motivated, you know, not that you need extra motivation, but if anyone was to have it, he would have that extra motivation to win this playoff series. Jokic, um, I mean, he had some rough moments in that. He had a rough game in that Timberwolves series, you know, and so there's probably already some conversations around that. And so if they use that as a chip on their shoulder to um, see what they can do, see if they can replicate their 2020 playoff run, they go to the conference finals and give the Lakers a good run, you know, that they've got to be able to, I think it's going to have to happen early in this series. If Jokic and Murray can come out with the rest of the Nuggets and they have a dynamite game one and game two at home, that I think you could seal a Nuggets victory almost. If they win game both games at home to start, that's, you know, that's everything that they're going to need. The Suns need to just take one of those games on the road and at home in Phoenix second round with that team, that's going to be, you know, it could be a runaway and the crowd can take that out of the Nuggets hands very quickly. The Suns can get out on offense. And so Nuggets have to set the tone early. Otherwise I think the Suns stand a very good chance in this series. Um, And that kind of takes care of my summaries, honestly. You know, a lot of talking points for all of these series. These are going to be some fantastic matchups, um, ones to really watch out for. Um, and with that, let's go ahead and give you some uh, real specifics as far as those games and when they'll start and um, all those details. Again, tomorrow, Saturday the 29th, is the start of the second round series of play. And it will start with the Denver Nuggets, the one seed hosting the four seed Phoenix Suns. And that's the only game on Saturday. That's on TNT at 830 Eastern Standard Time. So that's your Saturday game. Sunday, we should we will note we may also have the game seven of either the Grizzlies and Lakers and or the Kings and the Warriors. Those would be on Sunday if those happen. If not, we will just have game one of the five seed New York Knicks at home against the eight seed Miami heat. That's at one o'clock Eastern standard time on ABC. So that'll be a pretty early tip. If those Grizzlies and Kings, uh, Grizzlies, Lakers and Kings warriors games happen, they'll be after that um, almost definitively. So that that's your Sunday game. Then on Monday we will have firstly game one of the Celtics and Sixers series, the two seed Celtics hosting the three seed Sixers That's TNT at seven 30. Eastern Standard Time, and that's the first of a doubleheader. Game two is 10 o'clock on TNT, and that'll be game two of your Nuggets Suns series. So that's Saturday through Monday's set action. As far as that final series, again, the winner of those final four, the two winners of those final four Western Conference teams, I would bet the first game of that series would be on a Tuesday. That would be my prediction as far as a start time for that game. Uh, game one of that series. So that's the schedule. Um, and that's what we have set for you. That's our previews. That's our game summaries. That's everything uh, for today's podcast. Um, and I went a little bit longer than I anticipated, but again, I think it was a good all round show. Let's go ahead and wrap things up with our, this day in history fact um, before we put things, uh, put things to rest here for this one. We're going back to 1966, going back a while. Uh, April 28th of 1966, Red Auerbach retired as Boston's head coach, Boston Celtics head coach, after guiding the Celtics to a 95-93 to triumph over the Los Angeles Lakers in Game 7 of the NBA Finals. Auerbach coached Boston to nine NBA championships, including eight straight titles from 1959 to 1966, which is more than any other head coach in NBA history. Uh, Of course, the Coach of the Year trophy is in his namesake, the Red Auerbach Coach of the Year. Um, if you're curious, the casual fan, you know, hey, 
Bill Russell won 11 championships, but his coach, Red Auerbach, he only won nine. How does that work? Uh, the very next season, 1967, um, Bill Russell was player coach and he would be player coach for those final three seasons of his career, 67, 68, and 69, 68 and 69. Of course, the Celtics won two more titles to give him 11 total. Um, and the Celtics franchise 11 total championships at that point, which far outpaced any other franchise. Of course, nowadays after the 2020 season, the Celtics and the Lakers are tied with 17 total championships so that is our this day in history fact and that is our show real quick i'll plug our instagram page that's crossover across time uh no capital letters that's all one word for the profile name on instagram we share content from the show but we also do our best to uh, like and share content from across the nba so it's a great place all in one place along with the podcast itself to stay up to date on the nba get that historic perspective all of those great things um so that helps support the show, but also listening to the show like this um, supports us as well. We appreciate your support, all of you out there. On Monday, when we come back for our Monday show, we should be knee-deep in second-round action. Um, our first-round series will all be wrapped up. We will give you a little bit of a, a preview for that final second-round series. Once that's set, we'll preview that on Monday. We'll break down the... Uh, first round matchups and games that have happened up to that point and we'll do a bracket check-in we should have Wyatt back with us at that point uh, both Wyatt and Justin have wrapped up their uh, their latest school semesters so they are currently just working um, so they should hopefully have a little bit of a freer schedule to be able to hop on the podcast um, but uh, that's a look ahead thank you all again for listening we really appreciate it and we'll be back with you on Monday <laughs>